0: We have made it to Genesis chapter 19 in our ongoing journey uh, through the book of Genesis. And this is the chart that we've been kind of fleshing through. Uh, There's these four major events in the book of Genesis. There's these four major people. Um, If you have no idea what Genesis is about, this is it in, in pictorial form. It's not a complicated book. It's broken events, people. We've made it through all the events. We've made it to Abraham. Um, and, and we, we've rewritten a song and all kinds of stuff. Tyler did that, and uh, we've made it kind of into his life. And today we're going to run across a nephew-slash-brother that he had. And yes, Lot was both. He was a nephew-slash-brother, um, <clears throat> and we're going to hit him. And We're going to hit his life and, and what's going on in his life. And, and it is again, it's a whirlwind. I, I hope I have um, mumbled on long enough that if you have kids that you have dismissed them from this room, I plead with you or you're going to have a lot of questions to answer tonight. Um, so feel free to take them and go. But this is the text that we have. It's, it's a counter-cultural text. And when you swim swim against counterculture, people are going to bolt. They're going to be mad at you. And it just is what it is. And this is a counter-cultural text. Text, it's it's particularly scriptural in nature in that there's just a lot of things in it that are definitive in this passage that we're going to see. And I know every time, every single time we hit a text that is going to deal with the inerrancy of Scripture, gender, abortion, um, genocide, sovereignty versus free will, wrath. Anytime we're going to hit one of those texts, I know that there is a good chance that it's going to be the tipping point for somebody to bolt right out of our church. I get that. Um, if, If you don't believe that... Um, those of you who were with us through the book of Romans, <laughs> when we made it through Romans 8, 9, and 10, there's just a lot of people that don't want to wrestle with those texts. And, and today, we hit another one of these texts. And so, here's the good news. The good news is today, this text doesn't hit one of these things, homosexuality, gender, genocide, all those kind of things. That's the good news. The bad news is, it hits all of them. In one fell swoop, all right? So it's just a—it's littered with all of these things. And here's what I want to ask, in, in a very <clears throat> serious tone. Um, I want to say this: just hang in there. Hang in there. And some of you will have the, the the urge inside to just bolt, and I'm going to say today: just just hang in there. Hear the text out. Wrestle with it. Hang on in the room, and, and, and right now when I say that, some of you are like, "I don't know if my bladder can make it." <laughs> and if I leave, are people going to think that I'm? You know, this is a grace based place. You're free here. Don't don't feel that. However, hang in there, um, and and we'll wrestle through this together. And then when we. And then I'll know how you felt about it when we passed each other in the grocery store. <laughs> and if it's awkward, I'll be like, oh, they, they don't like that. Um, if you're like, high five, then we'll carry on. Um, Lord be blessed. So this is the text that we have. Um, it, it's going to press you physically. It's going to press you emotionally. It's going to press you spiritually. It's just that type of text. I'm going to begin a, we'll call it a mini-series in a series. Um, we're going to have a tale of Two lives. I can't cover both of them today. The two lives would be this. The contrast that we've made it to in the text is really Lot and Abraham. And they're contrasted. It's what's going to happen. We'll hit Lot today as part one, and then we'll finish it with the text that continue next week with with Abraham. And so you'll kind of see this tale of two different lives. um, Both very real. uh, Both lives that have bizarre defining moments. And so today we hit Lot's life. Lot's life would be a, lot, uh, a life of what I'm calling degradation. It is a life full of dark, dark degradation. And it left a legacy. It left a specific legacy. It was a life that tried to live as close as it could to the world at all costs. It was a life that tried to embrace whatever culture wanted. It tried to embrace that or incorporate that into its own life. And that's the legacy that Lot's life left. So it is this dark, dark life. It's the passage, if you haven't flipped there already, that we know as Sodom and Gomorrah. It's the passage of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so in this passage, I want to state something real quick off the bat. This passage or this story is not just a story. This is narrative history. It's not just something that people came up with to kind of scare you or not scare you or to make a point. Like This is just history. This is very real history. Jesus taught this as historical fact. Paul taught this as historical fact. Peter taught this as historical fact. Jude taught this as historical fact. A number of the other prophets in the Old Testament taught this as historical fact. So when you hear this, this is not one of Aesop's fables. This is not the uh, tortoise and the hare trying to get you to the point of something else. This is not that. This is a historical moment and you've got to grasp that. It's found in Matthew 10, Matthew 11, Luke 10, Luke 17, Romans 9, 2 Peter 2. And then as we already mentioned in Jude, Jude says it this way, "...just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire." You stayed. <laughs> you made it past that verse, Okay. So this gives us a heads up of where we're going. This is what this text is all about. And so again, Sodom and Gomorrah and Jesus are married. They're interconnected. They cannot be divided. So you can't be somebody who says, like Gandhi, I love your Jesus, but I hate your people. You, You can't disconnect the two. Jesus is intimately wed with the people in this story. Maybe I could say it another way. You can't say, I'm one of those Christians who love Jesus and the Jesus of love, but I can't embrace the Old Testament of wrath. You can't do the two, and here's why. Because Jesus is one of the angels that rains down the fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. He's part of it. So here's the deal with this, and here's what I want you to see in this. John chapter 5 says this, God has given Jesus all authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. John chapter 5 also says this, The Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. So the judgment that's rained down is cast because of Jesus. So you can't say, I love Jesus, but I don't like wrath. I'm this kind of Christian. There is no separation. We're both. Acts chapter 10, 42 says it this way. He is appointed, Jesus is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and of the dead. So bring it home. You can't be a Christian that says, I'm a graceful, loving Christian. I'm not one of those fire and brimstone Christians. Because if you're a Christian, you are a fire and brimstone Christian if you believe the Bible to be true. So that's the history of this text. This is what it gets us to. We see that Jesus is in this moment. He's one of these angels that showed up. And we're going to see this unravel right before our eyes. And we're going to do it in four steps. We're going to look at the history of the text, the sin of Sodom, who Lot was, and what this plot is teaching us about God himself. So this will be the overview and the flow. It'll pop up on the screen if you can flow through it. uh, Four different things. Let's do the history. we're not going to teach exegetically in the sense of I'm going to go through every line. I'm just going to give you a recap and you can go read Genesis 19 for yourself and and I think you'll see everything that I say is exactly what happens in Genesis 19. Here's the history. Uh, If you remember, angels have visited Abraham. Um, They've had dinner. They've affirmed their covenant together, all of these things. And then he says, hey, by the way, after dinner, I'm going to go burn your nephew brother's town flat to the ground. I'm going to do this because it's wicked. Their wickedness is calling out before me. And so Abraham begins bargaining. And he says, oh, God, I don't want you to do that. Angels, I don't want you to do that. Um, if you find 50 people there who are not wicked, will you spare the city? And then the Lord goes, sure, that's fine. Well, <laughs> I'm sorry, I misspoke. What about if there's 40 people? Sure, that's fine. I, please forgive me. If there's 30 righteous people, will you spare the city? I'll do so. I misspoke again. And he bargains all the way down to ten people. Abraham says, listen, if there's, if, what if there's just ten people out of the whole city? If there's just ten, will you not burn the city to the ground? The angel goes, that's fine. That's fine. We're, but we're about to wrap this up because I ain't got time for you, Abraham. I got to go burn a city to the ground. So he bargains him all the way down to ten. And so then we've got Abraham over here, we've got Lot way over here. The reason that they're separated is because if you remember back in Genesis chapter 13, I think Tyler preached on that. In Genesis chapter 13, there was an argument between Abraham's flock uh, shepherds and uh, Lot's shepherds about the land and where the sheep could be and all this kind of stuff. So Abraham said, look, Lot, you pick where you want to go. He picked this town and he goes, and so now they're separated. This is how we get to this point of them being separated. So the angels leave. They leave the dinner and they go to Lot um, at the city gate. So the angels head down to the city. They're at the city gate. Lot had become so popular at this point that he's an elder at the city. He's hanging out at the city gate. This is what the elders did. Uh, They didn't have to work and all this kind of stuff. They sat and they allowed who came in and who didn't come in. And so they, they were the men of wisdom of the day, I guess if you would say. So this is who Lot is. He's in the city that's, that's booming, it's lush, there's movement going on, it's the glitz and the glamour, um, it, it's the lights, it's all the things. This is in the this city. This is where they're at. <clears throat> so the angels go down, and they, they come up across a Lot, and they say, Hey, we're going to stay here tonight, and we're going to stay here in the city. Now, to bring last week's message back into relevance, uh, this is like them pulling off into Compton, like me and Julie Beth. They, they have headed down into the LBC, the Long Beach community. They're, they're there. And, and so the angels say, we want to stay here in the city. And Lot goes, negative. No way. I will not allow this to happen. You cannot stay in the city. You've got to come to my house. So they acquiesce. He drags them over to the house and he prepares a dinner. This dinner pales in comparison to the one that Abraham and Sarah did. But nonetheless, it was a dinner. They get down to dinner. All of a sudden, men start knocking on the door. And the Scripture says, if you want to go read it and read it in detail, it says, the young men, the old men, and all the men. Culturally, all the men are knocking on the door, and they're not looking to borrow the weed eater. They're not looking for a cup of flour. They're not looking for some eggs. They're not looking to just hang out for a sightseeing tour. Um, All the men, old and young, wanted to rape these men who have come in a homosexual orgy. So at this point, society has degraded to the point where this is not against the law. It's culturally accepted. So again, what you have is an entire city full of men who the grandsons are being taught by their grandfathers and their fathers that it's totally acceptable to go to a door, knock on it, when somebody has come to visit in and to have a homosexual orgy with them. That's how far the sin has traveled along. And so, it's not hyperbole to say. What one generation tolerates, the next generation Embraces. And that's what's happened. Degradation has got darker and darker and darker and darker. The society didn't just start with homosexual orgies. It started with just allowing this sin, allowing this sin, allowing this sin. And it came to now to where it was perfectly acceptable. It wasn't even against the law to be a part of this. And so in this moment, you would think, Lot, Okay, he's in the Bible, he's got to do something good. Well, here's what he does good. He says, no, 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 you can't have these men. He grabs his daughters and he says, rape my daughters. Twisted, warped, confusing. I I, I don't understand how daddy issues come about, but church, that's got to produce some daddy issues. It's dark. And as we'll see soon, this indeed warped their whole understanding of life understanding of purpose, understanding of meaning. It really taught them they were just objects meant to reproduce, which we'll get to again in just a second. The angels at this point, they've had enough. And so the angels blind everybody. The angels are like negative, we no lot. They're like, they ain't coming on us, number one. Number two, they're not having your daughters, and so they just blind everybody. So everybody's now blind outside. So you can imagine what panic this is, right? I mean, they have come to gang rape these men in a culturally accepted practice, and now everybody's blind. So they're just kind of flailing about, so much so that the text says that they begin to grope for the door. odd notion. The picture you get is they're completely blind, and they're going, hey, (laughs) we came to rape somebody... But now we're all blind, and brother, it ain't going to be me. And so the wrestling and groping is kind of what's going on in this text. It's a wild scene that we find here in Genesis 19. And so Lot has a cluster in his response to this, uh, but the angels say, look, we've had enough. You're going to leave the city, Um, your family's going to leave the city, and we're going to burn this place flat to the ground. And then the Lord does indeed rain down fire and brimstone. Not only fire and brimstone from heaven on these men, literally it says everybody, every human being in this town was wiped out. But the text goes on to say that the entire ecological system was wiped out. When the Lord rains down fire and brimstone, it's not a joke to him. It's not a wink and a nod. It's not, oh, your sin's fun and cute. (laughs) It's okay. I'll spank you with a noodle. You serious? He wipes out the whole friggin' planet plants, animals, everything. To this day, this land is still a desolate wasteland. Nothing, barren. So, in this moment, this causes us to look at the history and go, my goodness gracious, what sin is that? What type of sin causes that? People will look at this text and they'll go, I don't know what to do with this because of what's going on in my culture. So what I'll do is I'll just say, well, the sin has to be inhospitality. It's that these men were inhospitable. And I'm not kidding you. This is what people come up with. And they go, well, the sin was they were inhospitable. And that's why the Lord rained down fire. Dear friend. I don't see anywhere in Scripture that inhospitality rains down fire and brimstone. (laughs) Lord knows when my second cousin's brother's friend drives through Tuscaloosa and I don't give them a tour around the campus that the fire and brimstone doesn't fall. It's It's just a silly notion. And what it goes to prove is this. That there's just people in our society who like the notion of heaven, but don't like the notion of a God who gets to say what the standards are to get into heaven. They like the notion of an all-loving being. Everybody wants heaven, but nobody wants obedience and nobody wants lordship. This is what this calls into question. And and so what the society will say is, I don't like any other interpretation, so I'll just find somebody who's got a a PhD after their name who's got as warped as a mind as I do, and that PhD will see, well, it must be in hospitality, and I'm going to get in their camp because that sounds better to me. You can have a PhD and be as ignorant as the day is long. And you can be a dumb, stinky fisherman who walks in step with the Lord's commands and be as wise as Solomon. So in this moment, all this chaos is going on and it's not inhospitality. The Lord doesn't toast this town because they're inhospitable to these people. So why did He? Two reasons. Number one, to be sure. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes, evil continuously. No doubt about that. The culture was just absolutely depraved, utterly wicked from top to bottom. Okay, so they did what was right in their own eyes. It was true anarchy, which is the ultimate end of atheism. If atheism says, then I am my own standard, the ultimate end ultimately is anarchy. Everybody does what's right in their own eyes. That's the ultimate end. Ezekiel chapter 16 says of Sodom, he says, they were arrogant, overfed, unconcerned, haughty, and detestable. This has been the case, though, with many cities already in the book of Genesis, hasn't it? There's been many cities who've fit the category of arrogant, overfed, unconcerned, haughty, and detestable. As a matter of fact, Israel even hit those things, right? but they weren't wiped off the face of the planet. So hear me clear. There's no doubt about it. They certainly were just absolutely detestable. But this word detestable is the same word that's used in Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20 when it describes homosexuality as a detestable abomination. And there's your connecting point. Now all of a sudden we've got this specific sin in the midst of an absolute uttered, depraved society. And so, sin specifically is homosexuality, and in this case homosexual mob rape in the text of Genesis 19. This is where the term, and some of you have never even really thought about this, this is where the term sodomy comes from. So if you hear of somebody going to jail or prison because of sodomy, which is intercourse between two men. This is where it comes from, right here in the text of Scripture. It's even in our court system. This is where this word comes from. Jude chapter 7, as we've already noted, Jude chapter 1, there's only one chapter in Jude, verse 7 says this, Sodom gave themselves up to sexual immorality in a perverted sense. So what is this perversion? And Romans 1 spells this out, crystal clear. And I want you to hear me. Please hear me. I know what I'm about to say is going to cause all kinds of emotions in this room. Some of you have battled homosexuality. Some of you know somebody battling homosexuality. And I don't say what I say as an angry... I'm just saying, this is what the Bible says. And we'll either embrace it or we'll reject it, but it's always for our good... even when it doesn't feel loving to us. And here's what Romans says. Romans chapter 1, 26-27 says, They, being depraved minds, exchange the truth about God for a lie. And they worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. And for this reason... God gave them up to, watch this, dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for men one to another. Men committing shameless acts with men. And receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Here is what the Bible says about homosexuality it is dishonorable, unnatural, and shameless. That is the word of God, not my words, not something to be bitter and angry but to say, this is the truth of God's Word. And if He builds the house, He gets to make the rules of who gets to live in it. And so if you wrestle with that, you're not wrestling with me. You're not wrestling with those right-wing bigots. That's so stupid. You're wrestling with God and what He says about His nature in his, cre- his creation. So here's the deal. If you wrestle with this, if you wrestle with homosexuality or somebody who's in homosexuality, here's what I want to say to you. I love you. You are welcome at my table. You can come over anytime you want. We can hang out, all this kind of stuff. But I will always tell you the truth of God's Word. I won't reject you but because of God's Word, I have to reject your sin. And if you love me, you'll reject my sin as well. And you'll point me to worship. And so this is where the text goes. So what do we do with this as believers? I had, what do we do with this? We've got the history. We've got the sins specifically in this text. What do we do with this? Number one, I would say this. We're not to judge those outside the church. We don't... <laughs> We don't have any grounds to judge anybody outside the church. If you're not a believer, you can do what you want to do. That's, that's we can't do that. We can't judge anyone. That's, that's up to God. We just simply speak the truth. Okay. So that's number one. We can learn from that. Number two, though, we are. Capital A-R-E. We are to judge those inside the church who claim to be believers and embrace something that's not biblical. We are. We have that command. We're to fight for a pure bride if we claim to be believers. And here's the reason why. Because our God is a discriminatory God. The God of the Bible is a discriminatory God. A lot of people want to go, oh no, my God is tolerant. My God embraces all things. My God, well, then your God is not the God of the Bible. Your God's a God that you made up. Our God in the Bible is discriminatory, and that's not unfair. That's not an unfair thing to do. We discriminate all the time. Let me give you examples. Maybe somebody's like, well, not me. I'm not discriminatory. Oh, yeah, you are. <clears throat> give you some examples. Number one. If I'm going out to dinner with you, I'm not going with you. If all you wear is a thong, I'm not going to do it. You know why? Number one, because it's creepy and gross. Number two, because the restaurant ain't going to let us in. Why? Because the restaurant discriminates. You can't wear a thong in the restaurant. It's just the rule. They own the restaurant and they get to say who comes in and out and wearing the phone doesn't get you in. <laughs> okay, so, so number one, let's be mindful of that. Number two, bring it personal. I have my own house. It's not a big house and it's not real fancy and all that kind of stuff, but you ain't walking your nasty boots up in my house. I will just kindly say, hey, hey, you got mud all over your boots. Take your boots off before you come in my house. And then we'll hang out, we'll play uh, chess, and we won't play chess because I don't know, i to play the game, right? But let's bring it on down, to, let's be honest with you, our church, we'll play some Uno, right? Maybe scratch some dominoes, uh, we won't, anyway, okay, now I'm thinking about LBC, Compton, okay, uh, we'll, we'll hang out, do all the things, but I have rules, and it's my house, and I get to make the rules. So let's not say we don't discriminate. You discriminate all the time. <clears throat> and God chooses His own qualifications and homosexual sin is one of His qualifications. It's what He chooses in His sovereignty to discriminate against as part of His created design. And He's got a whole list of all kinds of other things too that get you punted. 1 Corinthians 6 lists a bunch of them. It says it this way, Do not be deceived. Neither the the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. It's what you practiced. It's who you were. You were one of these things. One of these things raptured your soul. It's just what got you. It was your vice. It was your story. And that's why the next verse is so scandalous. Because the next verse says this, But, but you changed. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Something happened. A real change occurred that took you from God hates you because of this to God embraces you because of Christ. This change, the new creation came about. The old passed away and something became new. It happened. And some of you in this room go, that sounds a lot like me. Well, if you're a believer, it's because it's all of us. He changes things. But He still gets to create the standard. And what we want is yes, God, embrace us all and wash us all, but I don't want to change to do what you say I have to do to become who I can become. That's the breakdown. And for whatever reason, homosexuality in our culture is one of those things that, buddy, we just lay a thing in the... a firm stone in the ground and go, oh, God can't mean that. And it in all love, I just want to say this. He does mean that. In the same way that drunkards, and that's your identity, your purpose, and you don't get in. What defines you? I realize that phrase that I just said right there caused all kind of... Like everybody was like, yeah, talk about homosexuality. And then all now all of a sudden we're like, "Oh, I've been drunk before. <laughs> what does that mean? Is that your identity? What identifies you? And homosexuality is in and of itself an identity. Can you wrestle with homosexuality and war against it and be of the Lord? Absolutely. Which we'll get to that in just a second. But number three, what do we do this as believers? We align our lives with the Scriptures. Any sex... Hear me clear. Any sexual relationship outside of one man, one woman, for life is a biblical abomination. Any of it. God discriminates. See, it was real easy for those of us who've never struggled with homosexuality. It's about to get real hard when we start unpacking what all this includes. Any sin outside of one man, one woman, for life, is an abomination. So therefore, those who crave adulterous sex we're called to refrain from that. We're against that. Put that in check for Christ's glory. Those who crave premarital sex... We're to refrain from that. Put that in check for Christ's glory. Those who crave polygamous sex those who crave polyamorous sex, those who crave prostitutional sex, those who crave animalistic sex, those who crave pedophilia sex, and yes, those who crave homosexuality, we are called, if you're a believer, to refrain, war, fight, and put those things in check for God's glory. The question is not, do you wrestle? The question is not, do you struggle? The question is, do you embrace? And that's where it falls. You fight? Do you not fight. And most in homosexuality who've given in to that, by definition, the argument goes this way. No, it's so far beyond sexual relationship. It's just, it's, it's, it's more like... We're emotional partners. That, my friend, is called a friendship. By definition, when it becomes sexual, it is homosexual. And the Lord goes, you can have all the friends you want. I've got great guy friends. I've got great girlfriends. We got all these things, whatever. But it doesn't mean I can just go around having sex with whoever I want. And this is what's called into question. So the Lord calls us to this. We can't judge those outside of the church. But if you claim to be a believer, we can and we must. And we must hold each other accountable in all of those things. And we're to align our lives with Scripture. So a few notables about that that speaks to our current cultural climate. Was homosexuality culturally acceptable in the day of Sodom and Gomorrah? Absolutely it was. Totally acceptable. Did these people have an innate born with the homosexual desire from birth and from nurture? Yes, they did. They were, it was part of their DNA. They, they craved it. It was something they'd always saw. It was something that fed their mind, all this kind of stuff. And so the question goes, well, then aren't we all sinners and don't we just all struggle with various sins? And then I would say, there's no doubt about that. We do all struggle with all kinds of sins. But the problem wasn't that Lot lived in the culture of Sodom. The problem was that Sodom lived in Lot's heart. He embraced the sin. We live in a culture that embraces all kinds of sins. The question is Do we acquiesce and embrace it also in the name of love? Or do we show a biblical example of love and say, I love you enough to stand beside you and tell you the truth because this is God's standard? That's what we're called to be, church. The people who walk in grace come eat at my table. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you the truth. And this is what sin is, and you need to run from it because it's going to kill you. And so this is the balance. So the the typical rebuttal at this point is, you're telling me that Lot should have spoken up for God's standard with the fact that it was culturally acceptable, with it was truly an innate desire, and that we're all struggles with sinners. You're telling me that Lot was supposed to speak up, and I would say, yes. Absolutely, yes. Just like any other innate sinful desire that you struggle with. All of them were called to be those type people and that is exactly why Lot lost all credibility with the men in this culture because he would not speak the truth. Remember where he was sitting? Right at the gate. He knew the standard, but he was unwilling to speak up. So it just washed over him. He became one of them. In other words, he was mixing it up with them all week long, right? Who knows? Lot could have been involved in some of this. All this stuff is going on throughout the culture. Lot's there, he's mixing it up. These two men come. Now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden Lot has got a, a holy bone in his body. Right? Now all of a sudden Lot's like, well, hey, hey, we can't do this. And the men go, whoa, what? Why can't we do this, Lot? We do this all the time. What's so different about these men? He has lost all credibility because he won't speak for the truth. And so now in this moment, even his son-in-laws, if you read the text, says that they could not believe that Lot was opposed. They started mocking him, making fun of him. Lot, we hang out and get hammered all the time. You've seen us have sex with all kind of men. Why now? Why now? He's lost all credibility because he wouldn't speak the truth, and so now, at this point, there's three type people in this room. Number one, there's some of us in here who are ready to rage and go burn some rainbow flags. All the good old boys in here you got to pick it like it's like, let's go burn some flags, He-he. you know and, and it's, there's some people in this and, and some of you right now are like. No, that can't happen. And, and I could, I'm not going to out you, but you're smiling right now and you're like, well, that's, that's got, that's some of you. Some of you feel that, all right? All you Fox News junkies, right? I'm not, now you're mad at me because of Fox News. We'll trash CNN and MSNBC here in a second. So here's the deal. <clears throat> but you, you feel that and you're like, yes, let's do it. This is the Bible, okay? And then there's a the second group. There's a the second group. This is all MSNBC and. I don't even know the channels, so uh, if it's not The Office, I probably don't watch it. Um, Second group's ready to flip me off. You're ready to flip me off, call me a bigot, call me a nut. I'm homophobic. I hate people. I don't love. I I, I can hear, I mean, I, I can see your hand physically about to do that right there. And you're smiling at me right now. And then there's number three. There's a group that's just chewing on the scriptures, meditating, contemplating. What does the Bible say? And you're wrestling. I hope that's all of us. That's the three types. I want to speak to all three groups. Number one, if you're the one that's ready to go burn the whole place down, burn the rainbow flags... Bunch of gays, fags, all the things. Hatred is not a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Fruits of the Spirit. We must always model those things, even when we disagree, or especially when we disagree. Okay. Second group, ready to flip me off. I will say two things to you. Number one, Julie Beth flips me off every day, so go for it. <laughs> Bring it on. My kids probably flip me off. You know, I, you know, that's cool. Drivers flip me off. Uh, you know, Beth Eubanks, wherever she's at, she, she flipped me off at work. Tyler flips me off on a daily basis. So, feel free to let them fly, suckers, you know. (laughs) Um, I would say this. If this house is next to your house, would you still live there? All the people who are mad at me right now. If men are banging on your door to gang rape you and gang rape your your children, are you going to stay there? Now remember, you're tolerant and accepting. Funny how intolerant you are all of a sudden, right? Oh, I got a standard. I'm not living in that. They can do their own thing, but I'm going to move on out. You're a walking contradiction. Everybody has a standard. Why do you hate God's standard? Third group of people. All scripture is indeed profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So I hope you're chewing through the scriptures and I hope you're meditating because it's his house and he gets to make the rules. And this is one of his rules. So God deems this place flea infested. And he's going to bomb the whole thing. Which fits in your case, too? If you've got fleas in your house, are you going to set off a raid bomb in one of the rooms? Just kind of let the other ones live out of love? Right? So you have a few fleas here. He sets off a bomb on the whole place and wipes it out again, fire and brimstone. He doesn't leave anything living. Except Lot. Except Lot. What the crud? Really? Lot? Who is Lot? Well, he was supposed to be with Abraham chasing after God, but he chose his own way. He was not supposed to be in the city that defined its own standards, but he was supposed to be in the land that God chose for him, and God defined the standards. He's a man who collapsed to all cultural pressure just to fit in. He's a man who tried to give his daughters away for gang rape. He's a man who sat at the city gate, and you couldn't tell anything different about him than the rest of the men in the culture. He's a man that needed needed to take a nap (laughs) when God said, Hey, get out of there. He goes, Nah, I kind of need to take a nap and think about that. He's a man that bargained to go to another city. Go read the passage. God, I don't want to go to the hills where you are. Just let me go to this other city that's a little bit smaller. They've got a little bit less sin. Let me go there. I'm going to leave Reno. (laughs) And I was moving to Northport. Let me leave that and go here. He wanted to downgrade his sin. That will please you, Lord. Just let me do that. I don't want to be a holy roller. I don't want to be a Jesus freak. Now I'm thinking about, what would people think when they hear that I'm a... There's about four people in here who knows DC Talk. Okay. I don't want that. He's a man whose own daughters were so twisted... Some of y'all don't know the rest of the story. And I'm going to tell it to you right now. The rest of the story is this is how messed up his daughters were. That once they finally do leave, they find themselves in a cave. And in the cave, the, the daughters go, We're not going to be able to have kids. God killed the whole city. What are we going to do? And because the father had taught them such depraved things, what they said was, some of you know the rest of the story... Let's get our dad drunk and we will rape him while he's drunk so that he can impregnate us. And they do it twice. Both of them get impregnated by their own father by getting him passed out drunk and then raping him. That's how warped this family was. Why Lot? He was a man whose own wife wanted to go to go back to the neighbors and go back to the neighborhood. His own wife. But we love our neighbors. We're going to love our neighbors. I'm going to stay here in the midst of this mess. And some of you are feeling this. I'm going to stay here. I know it's jacked up, but I'm going to stay here in the midst of this mess because I love these people. And God goes, Get out! Get out! Don't even look back. Yanks them out, and the wife turns her head longing. But I love them, I love them. And then the Lord goes, boom, pillar of salt. Whacks her right there. This is his family. He was a man who, verse 16 says, after the Lord says, go, screamed. Screamed at him. Go! Get up! Get out of this sin! Lot goes, my Lord, I don't like. I wish you would use softer words. Be a little bit kinder, Lord. And then he's a man that, verse 16 says, the angels had to seize him by the hands and drag him out, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. That's who Lot was. And this church is the golden nugget at the end of a horrible tragedy. You go, Troy, I don't see any golden nuggets. Let me unpack it for you just a little bit. In Lot's own free will, this brother wanted Sodom. And so he resisted. Here's the gospel truth. In God's sovereign grace... He wanted Lot, and so he overcame his resistance and drug him out. And if you're a believer in this room, that's your story. It's your story. Second Peter 2, 17. I think it's 2, 7, actually. I think I put it down wrong in my notes. The last thing said about Lot in the Bible is that Lot was a... You ready for it? Righteous man. What? Like we just read the whole list of all the chaos that's going on here. How on earth could he be a righteous man? Lot's story is your story. Lot's story is my story if you're a believer in this room. Lot is not a punching bag to where we read this text and we go... Ugh, gross. Those type of people. What Lot is, is a mirror for us to look into. And it points back and he goes, that's who you were. His story's no different than you. And the only reason you're believing is because he rescued you to belief. He opened your eyes. He gave you the ability to see your sin. He overcame your resistance. And in that moment, did you make a real choice? Yeah, you made a real choice. But why did you make the real choice? Because God goes, boom, hands seized. Come with me. I'm going to let you see your depravity. And in seeing your depravity, you can see my salvation. Here's Jesus. Embrace Him. He awakens us, not us awakening ourselves. That's the news of the gospel. That's the glorious hope. You were Lot. Don't you dare read this story and go home to your community or group and say, Lot was a dirt bag. Look at it and go, Lot was a dirt bag, and I think I'm a little bit worse than him. Like there's some of you, there's two guys, two people in this room. All right, serious deal. There's some of you in this room right now who are getting it, and you're like, oh my gosh, yes, finally, somebody in the Bible I identify with. Because that whole Paul guy, I don't... He's like so far beyond, like, I don't, like he wrote 13 books of the Bible, that kind of stuff. I can't even read Dr. Seuss, okay? What? This like this whole other thing. And then you hit Lot and you're like, that dude, I get it. I get it. Praise the Lord for Lot. But praise the Lord that he can take gross, wicked scumbags and drag them out of the pit of their sin and make them righteous. Praise the Lord for that. Because I'm Lot. And you are too. And for the pious one in this room, (laughs) going, not me. I'm not Lot. There's a biblical word for you too. You're a Pharisee. You're a Pharisee. You don't see your need for salvation. And you'll never understand salvation unless you understand the sin with which you need salvation to cover. You won't get it. And so, some of us were lot, (laughs) but we were washed, we were sanctified we were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Plot twist. You'll never understand salvation until you understand what you are saved from. You just won't. I don't know who to give credit for this. Some people say Augustine. Some people say Jonathan Edwards. And then modern people today just... Say, Tolian Chavidjian said it just because he wrote it in a book. (laughs) But I love this phrase. The only thing that you brought to the table in salvation was the sin that made your salvation necessary. That's all you brought. And you'll never understand salvation until you understand who initiated your rescue mission. You didn't do it. You didn't tie yourself up by the bootstraps one day and go, okay, today I feel like I'm gonna be religious and da. da, da. Today I'm gonna nah. You didn't do that. If left to your own free will, you'd have busted hell wide open just like Sodom and Gomorrah. Praise God for his sovereign grace. He draws hearts, awakens eyes. Why? Because then God alone gets the glory for salvation. Who gets the glory for Lot's salvation? When this brother is getting drug, drug up a hill, who gets the glory? Lot? No. Lot's wife? Negative. She's a pillar of salt. She's iodized, right? (laughs) Lot's son-in-laws? They're left. They're still there. Lot's daughters, they're a, they're a twisted mess. Like everybody was throwing haterade on Lot until you heard what happened with his daughters. Now you're like, Ugh, that's kind of twisted. I'm kind of messed up and I'm going to sleep with my daddy. You know. it's, just, it's just the whole thing's warped. And when you see the beauty of the gospel, you go, wow. Only a holy God could pull off the salvation of anybody in that story because everybody's reprobates. And that same God, (laughs) only a holy God, could save any of us reprobates. And then he turns us into righteous, beloved, forgiven co-heirs with Christ. And do you think of yourself that way? Because the end of the story of Lot is... You can't walk away going, hell yeah, I'm I'm gross like Lot. No! The end of the story is, He's made you a son and a daughter and a co-heir with Christ. You're not Troy the former, all the things... Like I could go through that whole list in 2 Corinthians and identify with all of them with my adulterous mind, my wicked mind, my habits, my just all I could identify with all those things. And as a believer, you don't have to live there. Because the Bible says you're beloved by the Father. And he looks at you through Christ and he says, you're ready for it. I don't know what sin you're talking about. You're forgiven as far as the east is from the west. It's not Lot the gross guy. It's Lot the redeemed righteous one. That's how he becomes righteous in 2 Peter. He still did all the things, but the Father goes through Christ. He is righteous. All of the yuck, all the muck is washed Gone. That way, that way, that way, that way. How deep is the Father's love for us? What is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, all of the things? What is that? It's the cross, it's the gospel, it's just scandalous. It's called grace. Praise the Lord for His crazy grace for us. So, Troy, wrap it up. I should have left when He did the homily. We trust in God's sovereignty here. You stayed, so I got to believe in God's sovereignty. There was something out of His word you wanted Him to hear. We trust in that. Whether you come back is irrelevant to us. I mean, come back. <laughs> we love when you come back. As a matter of fact, come to my dinner table, but more importantly, wrestle with the word. Run away from Sodom. <laughs> Run away. Don't wait around. Don't say, I'm hanging around Sodom just to be loving. You're not. You're not. It's a lie. You're hanging around because you hate God's standard. And then run to the Father, who vehemently despises wickedness. Vehemently and patiently desires repentance. Because one day, His grace will run out one day so the days come church you, you have witnessed history at safe haven we are fire and brimstone church like you just witnessed it no it's just the text the text today is fire and brimstone so we are fire and brimstone text today God is graciously saving some and will one day burn the rest flat to the ground Don't be charcoal. Troy, sounds like we're going to slap a sign out there and start putting things turn or burn. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Turn or burn. What's what's some of the other ones? Uh, Stop, drop, and roll doesn't work in hell. That's one of my favorites. (laughs) Stop, drop, and roll doesn't work in hell. It's true. I just don't know that I would put it on a sign, which is why we won't have a sign. But that's another story for another day. Run to the Father. And that may be the oddest graduation text ever preached in a church. Um, But thank you for hanging in there. And as today wraps up. Jesus is available to those today who have ears to hear and a willingness to bend the knee in submission to Him as Lord and Savior. Today can be the day of your salvation. I'm tired. Ben. come on back up. I know you're tired too. Hey, thanks for hanging in there, church. Thanks. Thanks for fighting and warring through that. Let's pray together. So God, on the one hand, we wrap up this long day. (laughs) I mean, everybody in here needs a vacation. Um, We feel that. just go sit at the ocean and just kind of wrap our minds around your scripture and our lives and our response to it. But honestly, more than vacation, what we probably need to do is just be obedient to your text. Knowing that an eternal vacation really does (laughs) await those who do bow to your glory and your obedience. Standard. So, Father, I just pray for all of us in this room that, We'll embrace your texts. We'll ask you questions. We'll talk to you. God, that we'll love. We'll love. Man, we, I pray we will love people regardless. But Lord, you'll never let us be a church who acquiesces to the truth. May we have hearts that love deep but mouths that love equally deep in speaking the truth of God's standard. And so Jesus, for the believer in this room, may they be edified by your text. For the unbeliever in this room, may they bend their knee to you as Lord. Not just Savior, but as Lord.